Hello, everyone, to another episode of Podium Stories. Today, we have a very special guest in the building. Uh, Jeremy Creighton is, is described as an international branding specialist. He has over 20 years of experience working with some of the world's most successful brands across the United States, Europe, Asia, Australia, New Zealand. Um, he's the co-founder of Passport Brand Design, an Orange County, California-based agency offering creative leadership to global businesses seeking direction on high-level brand strategy, evergreen and seasonal campaigns, and creative execution. I've had the pleasure to meet uh, some of his team as well, and they're excellent uh, across all levels. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Awesome. So one of the things that I was really interested in uh, was uh, your upbringing. Before we get into content and bright identity, I read that you spent your early years in a hippie commune, uh, learning how the world works from a grassroots level, and then you went to private school. So I guess that was a big change. Can you tell us a bit more about your background and how those early years really had shaped you um, over time? Yeah, sure. I, I grew up in Australia, um, in Melbourne, and my parents were both teachers and they didn't believe in the teaching system. They didn't believe it had all the elements that, that kids needed. So they started their own school with a bunch of friends and it was the 70s. So, it, you know, they're naturally kind of earthy and and they, they bought this um, mud brick house as a, as a, a communal kind of project. And then they, they, they had a really interesting friend group and they decided that their friend group would bring more um, education to the kids rather than the, rather than the teachers that were sticking to a regimented, you know, teaching program. So, so we did amazing things. Like we had, there was doctors and, and there was artists and, and there was builders and, and whatever that parent kind of knew that parent would take a day each and, and teach us things. So some days would, you know, take apart a washing machine and, and other days would would paint or play music for a whole day and write our own songs and and yeah it was a really cool way to to grow up you know so but you know it, it had its limitations like any, like anything does so I think it became really really hands-on learning and we learned a lot of skills and we learned a lot of different you know things that were happening in life um you know, but, but it obviously missed that programmatic kind of learning. That's interesting. Um, my mother is an English teacher as well, so I, I can relate to that. Um, and then <laughs> go, going to private school, was it a big change for you uh, coming from that environment or, or how did you adapt it? Yeah, it, it was for me and my sister. I mean, for my sister, I don't think she wore clothes for like 10 years. So I think, you know, we it was some of the formats that we just didn't have any of those formats. We you know, I'd get told to, hey, Jeremy, you can't just stand up and walk out of class whenever you want. You know, I remember those things like, you know, there's some formats here, there's set class times and, and you had to call the teacher by the last name and, and all that stuff was quite foreign. But, but you know, I think education is about learning all different things as much as you can. Um, and, you know, so I think getting thrown from one thing to the other was a great grounding for me to understand the two different universes, you know. I, I love that, uh, 100%. Uh, let, let's fast forward um, to today. I know Passport has been recognized as one of the leading agencies. And you guys have worked with amazing clients like Coca-Cola, Nestle, Melbourne Football Club. Uh, what do you think makes a brand more attractive and more captivating than others? Uh, in what ways can we impact branding to make it more meaningful 
to, to yeah, the audience? I think it's great. Yeah, it's a great question. I think, and branding's gone through a lot of changes in the last 20 years. And I, I really reflect on, if you think about how many drinks were in the Coca-Cola fridge 20 years ago, um, compared to how many drink options someone has now, it's very different. So back in, back 20 years ago, the competitive advantage was huge. It was really hard to get a product to market. So, so brands had a lot of time to kind of in the back room, in their NPD, kind of like working on a formula and testing a formula and launching that formula. And even if they launched an idea, the competitors really took a long time to catch up to what was happening. Um, and you fast forward now, the competitive difference has just shrunk. I mean, um, and as soon as someone launches something, everyone's got the ability to, to launch a similar sort of product. So that lead to market time has gone. Um, and, and now you're relying on more than your functional attributes to, to win in the marketplace. So branding's become more important. It's the character of the brand, the stories behind the brand, the lifestyle that that brand supports is now becoming really important for people to kind of, they're not just choosing you know, oh, wow, here's a really different product. They're going, okay, here's a bunch of, of similar products, but which one do I align with? Which one do I connect with on a values perspective and, and a personality perspective and, and a lifestyle perspective? So that's what's really happened if you look at the big span of branding over the last 20 years. So that's really changed the course of what an agency has to do for a brand. Um, it was really about back then it was really about hey come to market with a really good campaign a really strong campaign about your functional point of difference and now it's like hey you know come into market constantly evolving and telling the story about what your purpose is not what your product is makes sense um one of the things you talk about that i often don't hear about is you know the values and the purpose behind the brand that's something that we don't often uh, hear about uh, what um, would you say to those companies that say, if we identify with something or if we take a stand on our values, we might be missing out or losing a certain percentage of the market that maybe doesn't align as much. I'm thinking, for example, of Nike with uh, the All, Blacks Matter, All Black, Lives, Black Lives Matter movement and those type of stuff, but they got some uh, backtrack from part of the market. What, what do you th think or what should you say to brands that, or maybe you're afraid to take a stand or to establish a, a values uh, that are meaningful. Yeah, so I, I mean, obviously Nike does a great job, but Nike knows who they are and they know what their purpose is. Um, and they play that hero archetype of really supporting, supporting people that don't really have a voice. So it's not really about just, you know, um, Black Lives Matter. It, it's about a whole bunch of, of um, different groups that, that are trying to find their voice and, and trying to be seen and heard and, and need, need that sort of support. So they're, they're, they're doing a million different things at the same time, but they know what their purpose is. And I think um, you've got to be careful of, of the tactic versus the, the purpose that's underneath the tactic. Um, and I think, you know, brands that don't have an opinion or don't have a point of view don't really mean anything to us. So we're, we're really looking for brands to have a point of view and have a, and have a, a sense of character that, that's unique to them. Um, they can still touch on all the things that are trending like Nike does, 
as long as it's authentically based on who they are and what they believe in, you know, and they're, they're trying to build that relationship. I, I think of brands as just people. Um, there's no difference. I mean, why we use archetypes is we're trying to turn a brand into a person. That's, that's all we're really trying to do. Our whole process at Passport is like, how do you give a brand a personality? How do you give, how do you make, you know, it's something that you can have a relationship with um, rather than a brand just telling you stuff all the time. Makes sense. You talk about archetypes. Is that a key component on, on the storytelling for brands uh, or how do you integrate an archetype into the storytelling component uh, so that brands can rely that message towards, towards their audience and their market? Yeah, I mean, we've, so archetypes is basically probably our, our, our primary tool um, for branding in, in, a, in, as we go through that strategy stage that and Carl Jung's theory of archetypes is that we can all be traced back to one of 12 core archetypes. And once you kind of understand that archetype, we now start to understand the person, what's motivating them to do what they do, what, what their wiring is that makes them think the way they think. And so we started using archetypes as a theory of, hey, even in the, you know, you can go to Coca-Cola and zoom in on the, you know, juice section, the juice category of Coca-Cola. And you can start mapping that whole category based on the, the archetypes and the characters that exist within a character in a category. And that way you can start to go, oh, okay, people like this juice because it really has these qualities to it. it, it you know, so you just kind of look at the brands as people and, and start to kind of, then you can help brands kind of go, hey, you've got a personality here. It's quiet maybe we can bring that personality out a lot more. I love that. I love that. Uh, we talked a lot about values and, and you know, the, the mission of the company and, and how that is transferred to the, to the audience. Um, what, I, I don't know how often this happens to you, but during, when you're having conversations with potential clients or your team is having a conversation with potential clients, how often do you hear about, okay, but what's the ROI of our values or what's the ROI of, you know, creating that identity and how can we measure? Uh, how often do you guys hear that? And do you guys have an answer to that? Um, oh, yeah. I think it's personally, I think it's clear, but do, are the people understanding? Yeah, I mean, once again, just the history of, of branding, brands and companies and corporate um, used to do mission, vision, values, right? So mission, what's our mission? What's our vision? What's our values? But it was all a bit chest beating at the time because really the consumers didn't have a platform to to connect with that brand. It wasn't a two-way conversation um, because we didn't have social media. We didn't have, you know, such, you know, all the all the mediums that could allow um, the consumers' conversation to come in. So, so brands used to just say, "Here's our mission. Here's our vision. Here's our values." They were very corporate as well, and it was all one di one directional. Um, and then what happened is they realized, hang on, we're not inviting the consumer to this conversation. That's why purpose is now trending over kind of core mission, vision, values sort of stuff. Um, it's still important to know where a company's heading, right. what they stand, what they're trying to achieve in the world. But really it's kind of like now it's more purpose-based on like together with our consumers, where can we go? Um, the ROI question is a good one. Um, and you can measure sales, you can measure um, likes, you can measure, you know, traffic, um, 
But I think you've, you, you've really got to measure, the ROI really goes down to the CDF funnel um, because you've got to really look at, are, are we, you know, and the CDF funnel is awareness, consideration, trial, you know, repeat purchase and loyalty. And if you really measure in those traditional zones, you really understand that, you know, how that, how the brand is really doing it at, at bringing new people into that funnel um, and then helping them convert into, into the sales and then helping them move them into kind of advocacy where they're now repeat purchasing, they're sharing the stories. So that's really the ROI we have on brand strategy is really looking across that CDF funnel. That, that's awesome. That's probably the best description I've ever to measure something that maybe you cannot track as Facebook ads, right? Facebook ads, you can say we got an ROI of 1.3 and then that's yeah. that specific number. So these are more a bit qualitative and overall overarching perspective. Yeah, and, and Facebook ads, we can put Facebook ads into the CDF, you know, in, in, right. in terms of consideration. You clicked on it, you went to the website. It's a consideration kind of, um, you know, measure. Um, and then we can look at sales and go, that's a trial measure. Um, and then we can go, how many people did we reach with an ad? That's an awareness measure. Once we have all those measures, we're really looking at the people who dropped from awareness into consideration, how many people dropped from consideration to trial and how many people repurchased. And, and then you can start to go, where's our weakness? You know, if, if our conversion um, between awareness to consideration is low, we've got a problem with, we're, we're saying ads, people are seeing them, but we're not telling them what they want to hear. The, the story isn't meaningful enough for them to dig deeper. Or if sales are low, but our awareness and consideration's high, there's, there's something wrong with our price point or there's something wrong with our product offer. It, it, you know, we're getting right to the moment of truth, which is the purpose, you know, the, the purchase moment, but there's something there that's stopping them. Um, once again, why didn't they repurchase or why didn't they become part of the community? We can measure all that. And then that's, that's where your marketing efforts start to kind of go to. 100%. Uh, we talked about bringing consumers and customers into the conversation I think one of the best ways to do that is through content. Uh, you, you Sorry, talk about, I've got a dog in the room. Oh, you're good. We'll, we'll add that. No worries. Uh, you, you talk about uh, purpose-built content. Can, can you explain a bit more uh, and expand on what purpose-built content is? Because it's a term that we don't often hear in the marketing industry. And I think we get what you mean by that, but we'd love to hear more the details on how do you create that content that's made to drive purpose. Sure. I, I think that, you know, the last five years we've realized we need a lot of content um, and we need daily content. Um, and so the, the need for content has grown um, a lot in, especially even in the last two years. And there's a lot of agencies now doing content. Um, there's a lot of people doing content and content's expensive. So you've got to get the cost down to produce a lot of content. What's happening in, in the world of content is because of the need for so much content, we're losing track of what that content all sums up to become a story over time. Um, it was a lot easier when, when we just did an, a campaign for the year, we really knew what the message was. But as that, that campaign gets, you know, compartmentalized into single day posts or, or, you know, blogs or whatever it is, we start to lose the perspective of like, what's the big story that we're trying to tell here? It's, it's what's the sum of the parts, not just the parts. And that's what's really important is making sure you've got a media plan 
and a strategy that, hey, over time, our purpose is really this, all our, all our touch points need to work towards that message. And that message has got to be really clear. We can do that message in, in a million different ways and, and, and a million different like, you know, executions like photography, video, illustration, storytelling, you know, long form, short form. We can do it in a million different ways, but it's all got to be part of the one story. Right. Uh, moving to, uh, moving a bit away from my identity and, and content, uh, one of the things that maybe surprises our audience is that you not only um, co-founded Passport, but you've also started your own uh, companies over the last few years. Uh, I was wondering at what point did you decide to spin off uh, your own brands? Um, I think we have a coffee roastery, common room roasters. I believe there's a CBD brand. At one point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do my own brands and maybe use the learnings from Passport to build those brands. Yeah, I, I think I started a long time ago. I, I started my first um, craft beer brand about 15 years ago. Um, and it, it was just, you, you're studying markets all the time and you're studying categories all the time. And then you see these category needs happening um, and trends that are going on. And you think, oh, wouldn't it be cool if a brand did this or, or someone did that? And, and, and then I, you know, and I, we used to have to do that for Coca-Cola, like what's the white space? What should we do? Um, but then I, I saw areas happening in other categories that I didn't have a client in. Uh, and I'm like, well, let's just do it. Um, I did a beer brand because I wanted to get into Foster's, which is, you know, a big company, CUB in Australia. And, the, and Foster's weren't in these cool pubs, you know, and I'm like, it'd be, you know, why aren't, why isn't there any Foster's brands in the cool pubs, you know? And so I ended up going, let's just make that our mission. Let's build a brand. Let's build a really cool craft beer and get it into all the cool pubs, you know. And at the same time, I'd send Foster's a pack of beer every week. <laughs> so, and, and on the top of the pack, I'd write a list of pubs we got into that week and until, until they rang us and said, okay, we get it. Let's, let's do something. So it was really, it was about, you know, multiple you know, ideas at the same time, but it was really about kind of getting clients um, and, and also seeing what clients were going through. Like, I think it's really easy to sit in a marketing room and talk about big ideas and, um, we, but without that reality of like distribution, you know, um, supply chain, you know, all that sort of stuff that we don't really need to deal with in marketing. It's all done behind the scenes at these big companies. And I, I realized I, I just didn't know much about that stuff. So building a product from scratch, going through R&D, you know, going through testing, going through, you know, building up any brand from scratch, you realize we're, we're working on these big brands like Coca-Cola and they've been marketing for 150 years, right. you know, and, 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 and all that groundswell happened before we even got there. So to kind of, you know, pat ourselves on the back to say, we did a really good job with Coca-Cola. It's not true. You know, so many people have, have got that momentum before we even got there. Um, so, yeah, so it was a bit of a learning curve and also a bit of a just an entrepreneurial thing that I, I like to make stuff. So it, right. it filled that kind of need. Yeah, I, I think I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and, and I think we're all curious to like, we see ideas everywhere, right? And we want to uh, space ourselves to 
discover those ideas because there's just some element of curiosity. Um, was it different to grow those brands versus a B2B agency? Because a lot of those brands that, that you mentioned, I think are B2C direct to consumers versus a B2B brand like, um, or B2B agency, service-based business like Passport. Yeah. Is it a yeah, different process? Yeah, it's it's a lot different, and it uses different parts of the brain for sure. And and it's been, I mean it it's been really good. I really have a lot of respect for any brands out there because it's it's a lot of work to build a product and get it compliant and get everything legally squared away and and actually grow grow the brand. So um, and that's been the biggest learning is like you think by just starting your idea that naturally everyone's going to love it, and you realize it needs advertising and promotion, you know, 30% of your, of your budget needs to go to advertising and promotion. You really need to spend against it. Um, and I think Instagram and stuff can get you kind of, you know, into that mum and pup phase really quickly, but, but no one really makes money. These brands don't make money by being mum and pup shops, you know, or a, or a single owner shop. They, they really need mass volume. And the challenge really becomes like, okay, how do you get from niche to mass? It's a real, it's a real big challenge. And, um, you know, and, and I'm excited by that challenge, but it, you need cash, you need mass advertising, you need, you need to have, like, have activity going all the time. Yeah. That's very interesting. Um, as a final, a couple of final questions, um, how do you balance your time, right? Because you have all, all these multiple brands, plus Passport, uh, we've had the, um, pleasure of interacting with you guys as a team and it's a large agency uh, doing incredible work how do you balance you know passport with your own brands do you how, how i have enough with one agency how, how are you able to handle everything around i think um you've got to i mean you've got to believe in what your product is our products people mm -hmm. you know so it's it's just like do you invest enough in your product um, at the end of the day? And do you, you know, you've got to hire great people. Um, you've got to pay them the right amount and you've got to also give them the trust to own something. Um, if you try, if you try to become that entrepreneur that owns everything, you, you, you'll struggle because you're trying to control it and you've got to allow, you've got to believe in other people to own areas um, and to, to go, hey, you, you got this and, and, and help support them. Totally, you can't leave them but, and you can talk through stuff, but it's really about having a great team, staying connected, talking through the, the problems and the challenges that each project has, um, but just kind of give, give, give over the ownership. Um, and, and that's what, I think that's what like the last 10 years of, of it's just like, how do you build trust in people? Um, and sometimes that's hard, you know, and sometimes it takes time, but it's like, have you got, you know, my wife's amazing at building a culture. Um, and she really believes in the culture of the agency and, you know, does the agency attract talent? Like how can we support them? I mean, we've done things from, you know, flying people over from Australia, buying cars and, you know, and leasing houses and, and whatever those people are, because everyone's an individual and everyone's got their own personal challenges. And I think if, if agencies help people evolve, um, then they, they kind of see it as, as a, an amazing thing and that they, you know, help out in, as the company evolves. So 
I think it's, it's just really, you know, seeing your team as a partners and not like you're the boss with, with staff. It's just like, we're all partners. We're all on the same level. Um, and we're all, we're all got to share in the, 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 the good of, of what we're achieving, you know? Makes sense. Uh, I know you're busy, Jeremy. So I, I want to get you out of here in a couple of minutes. As a last question, um, I was raised in Spain. I have dual citizenship, American, Spanish, um, Barcelona. Now I, I live here in, in Miami. I know you guys have a big team uh, that comes from Australia, but you guys have a, a headquarters, I guess, in, in California. Uh, what are some of the benefits and if any challenges have come with it of having this big international team and not just team, but also mindset of like, we're a global company. Uh, what are the good and the bad that comes with it? Yeah, I, well, you would get it, right? You go, I mean, the best, the best thing we can ever do is travel, right? And, and when you travel, you kind of go, oh my God, this country does this so well. Um, and this country does this so well. And, and you, the more you travel, the more you go, oh, it's so cool that in Japan they do this. And, in, you know, in, in Germany, they're doing this sort of thing. And you realise there's some real skill sets around. There's also kind of like, the creative community doesn't really have a country. It has a, it's, you know, it's, it's more of a global community and you find these little pockets like Austin and Portland and Melbourne and, you know, like, you know, London, there's, there's these little pockets of creativity and you realize these people are very similar. They've traveled and they're interested in the same things. So, you know, we're, we're now, we've got people in Canada, we've got people in Europe, um, you know, We've got guys in Australia and New Zealand um, helping us out. We've got people all over the US um, that are fantastic. And I think it's just kind of trying to put a team together that also inspire each other. And, you know, um, hey, I, you know, we've got a guy from Spain too. So he's like, hey, when, you know, I had to do this thing for the soccer team in Spain. Mm -hmm. And that's such an interesting challenge that, you know, you can kind of go, oh, that's really interesting how they approach that over there. I mean, we're launching stuff in Japan at the moment and I'm on a daily call with, with the Japanese team and, you know, they're going, yeah, that's, that's not going to work. You know, I remember getting told by one client, oh, the, the badass mum doesn't actually live in Japan. That, that's not a thing. <laughs> <And you're> like, <laughs> you know, so I, I think it, it's great for your brain. It's great for the community of creatives that are working together and, and, and kind of learning from each other. Um, so we, we definitely have a rule that, you know, don't just hire out of California. Right. I, I love that. Uh, I love the term pockets of creativity. I think that resonates a lot from what I've seen as well. Uh, Jeremy, I think we could talk about marketing, branding for hours, but I appreciate your time um, coming in. We're going to put uh, links to your website, to your LinkedIn, so that our audience can, can reach you there. Uh, but once again, thank you so much thank for your time, Jeremy. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great to meet you. Likewise. Appreciate it.